Yeah. Hey, follow this journey with me. Yeah, I'm finally getting my vision out. I swear that I'm reaching the stage where my only worry is word of mouth, but it's getting round on this own. Had to make all the shit that I wanna make, so I give you these words from the soul. And I'm praying to God that they resonate, and we've been working late to originate the sound. So when they hear it, they know that it's us, cause we do it like no one else around. Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 71, and it's been a pretty wild couple of weeks in the crypto world and also in the real world. So we're safely socially distancing here at home, uh, having on some more great guests to have on conversations to to see where the crypto space is right now, uh, but also to maybe cover some topics that uh, aren't usually covered. And uh, one of those in in particular uh, is governance which is something myself uh, I've personally cared about for the past like two or three years um, deeply as far as like educating others on how decisions are made organically uh, and from an emergent standpoint, how they even arise to um, uh, function in the way in which they end up doing it. Uh, and then how like key decision makers like come about in, in, in communities, either from like a reference standpoint um, or from uh, like legitimate, like granted powers from other uh functionaries in the space. So that would include like firms, large open source development groups, etc. Being able to understand what are the needs of a protocol and and inevitably how are those needs met, um, uh, implemented and eventually like, you know, integrated uh, into the blockchain itself. Um, and so like without with that being said, uh, on this uh, educational journey with me today is uh, my loyal co-host Demetric Ferguson and Dr. Corey Petty. Uh, gentlemen, can you introduce yourselves to the audience for number 71? Yeah, ma'am. Uh, it's, it's good to be back. Thanks for using my government name. I appreciate it. And, no problem. And I'm happy. I'm having my first virtual happy hour tomorrow. So we're going to see hmm. how that goes. I haven't done that yet. What about yourself, Corey? How's, how's, your, uh, how's your life going? How's your social drinking distancing? Oh man, I was born for this. Uh, I basically like life has not changed whatsoever for me. If anything, it's like the rest of the world has gotten a taste to how I spend the majority of my time. So, been great. Uh, yeah, and governance is a is a really important issue that doesn't get brought up a lot. Um, I think the Ethereum process has done a pretty good job of um, incorporating the, the the viewpoints and thought processes of the entire community and some decently democratic way of, of kind of implementing changes in a myriad of ways. So let's get into this. And, and you know why governance is and talked about much is because one, it's, it's really boring. And two, it's very complex. You know, it's kind of a complexity science of like understanding mm-hmm. multiple different things and moving parts at once and being able to uh, figure out like who's ultimately going to make the decisions in a distributed manner, which when you really dig into it, that's not really much fun at all. But uh, the people that are focused on that are very important in the space, and they literally what keep things moving. Um, so that being said, very happy to have on uh, another awesome person from the Ethereum community. We've had on plenty uh, over the past few years, uh, but we're joined today by Hudson Jameson of the Ethereum Foundation, who I like to call as like just like the community super nice guy. I, he's, he, have you ever met Hudson? <laughs> he's, he's a kind person. He's just he's big teddy bear. And I was like, you know what? Whenever I get to see Hudson, I always give him a big hug. 
because he's just he's a great person deep down you can tell and he plays a, a major part in the ethereum community and kind of like building that foundational ethos uh around uh you know how to socialize uh with and amongst developers and i think he's a really great role model for that so that being said hudson uh could you give us a, a, a very brief background or introduction as to who you are as i'm sure many in the audience already know uh, and then we'll get moving into this whole governance stuff sure so I'm Hudson Jamison. I uh, currently work at the Ethereum Foundation doing a few different roles, um, some security and DevOps stuff within the foundation, and then outside of the foundation um, doing stuff with community and governance and things like that. Oh. So I think that I think that the thing that taught me a lot about how to interact with people was my two years at a bank, an insurance company, because I didn't hate it, but it like it taught me I need to get out of here and do something a little bit different. I need to do something like that's more meaningful. And Ethereum came into my life way back when. A dream, I have these dreamy eyes right now thinking back to when I first discovered Ethereum. <laughs> but uh, basically, I was doing blockchain stuff at this bank and insurance company, and uh, Ethereum piqued my interest. Um, I got involved volunteering at DevCon 1, which was one of their yearly annual conferences that the Ethereum Foundation puts on. From there, I got involved in the community and eventually got asked to come on board uh, to the Ethereum Foundation team for DevOps-related stuff. I currently host the uh, bi-weekly Ethereum core developer meeting where we talk about protocol decisions and other like low-level client network research level uh, discussion. It's always live streamed on YouTube. We don't have a lot of people watching it, which is okay. It's pretty boring. Like you alluded to earlier, a lot of this stuff is boring, but I still think it's a really important part for the transparency aspect, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the C-SPAN of Ethereum content. Is what oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Sorry. that's what I'd say it is. I like. I mean, I'm technical. Like I have a computer science degree, but I'm not that technical. So when I get in there, I'm just like more of a keeping things on track, like the organizer, not the not the one who gets in the weeds. Of course. And so that being said, obviously, of course, um, governance as a whole can you know be a very like broad topic. So you know what we want to discuss today is governance in relation to. Um, blockchains, public blockchains specifically, uh, and protocols and trying to make, you know, in protocol decisions on either how to uh, augment the, the chain itself for further improvements, um, touching like consensus critical code, um, you know, making decisions around hard forks and etc. So maybe um, very briefly and as, as, as close as you can get to that, can you give us just a high level explanation of what would you say is some of the key pillars of software governance around the Ethereum protocol. Like what are your, what are your focuses, whether it's like uh, developer stakeholder management, uh, whether that is like research and due diligence around like changes, how, how does that work at a high level before we get into understanding more? So I, I've been starting to think about it more and more like, 
like traffic and like a snowball rolling down a hill and growing and growing and growing and going towards different directions. You can kind of see its trajectory. A lot of that involves the pieces around it. So in our case, it's the community. For a snowball, it's the various layers of snow. For traffic, it's the cars coming together and deciding on you know, how they're going to react to other people's reactions. It all comes down to people's individual decisions making the collective. So whenever I focus on governance stuff, the reason that I try to be, you know, pretty nice and open and, you know, listen and stuff is because people seem to latch on to that kind of thing and it makes more people act that way. So there is a big part about being open to criticism. There's a big part about being open to change and not being stuck in your ways or getting an ego about yourself within the community because like unlike a lot of other communities I've seen in a lot of other blockchains with these figureheads there's a lot more down to earth people in ethereum I feel like which is really a good change of pace I mean we even have you know even high level people you can reach out on twitter message and just message them which is the thing that really excited me when I got into the space I was like so how are these decisions made so I just messaged you know, a few different people messaged Vlad, Vitalik, a few other high-level people, and they got back to me. They were just completely cool talking about this kind of stuff. So hmm. I think it's the openness is a big factor. I think it's the community aspect from a broad perspective of everyone has to come together to make these decisions. And the thing I do the most is somewhat manage the – the thing I do the most is – look at where decisions are headed kind of like watching that snowball go down the hill and seeing what ramp it's about to go on if we were to put ramps on that hill for the snowball to uh, you know propel itself off of and just figure out what the right decision should be based on what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and you know i should actually correct myself it's not about what's the right decision it's about what the community wants like it's because mm-hmm. if i were to decide everything like it would just be a shit show. So we don't need we don't need that in Ethereum right now. Uh, we definitely just need people to come together and decide things for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you would you would kind of describe yourself as just like a wrangler of sorts of kind of the the, the major high level low level decisions, um, and you're just sort of like an aggregator of opinions. And, yes. and so I guess you just sort of distill down, well, you know, XYZ party thinks this, XYZ party agrees on this, but they disagree on this. How can we come to a decision so X, Y, and Z can all be in agreement and move forward from here? Um, so for me, I imagine it's probably a lot, of, a lot of talking and a lot of like social engaging. Am I, am I wrong there? Uh, yeah, I need to count the number of chat rooms I'm in. Like, it's way too many. A lot of them are on muted notifications, but I know I have six chat clients with at least 20-plus rooms in each one that I just kind of check in on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something to keep up after. And the role I have at the foundation is community partially you know besides the other things i mentioned earlier so it is my job to do this and i enjoy it like i enjoy talking to people figuring out how things are going getting people's perspectives and just being sociable so i think unlike a lot of other people who can kind i can kind of straddle the line between technical and non-technical in that way like i'm i'm not gonna you know be like all heads down in code in fact i haven't really coded something significant in years but um, I can at least understand those perspectives and not just, you know, fall asleep, but at the same time talk to a normal person who's like, 
hey, you know, what's what's the real decision going down here? Mm-hmm. So like, what's nice, I guess, you do a lot of cat herding. Uh, like basically, you're know, aggregating of opinions, trying to get people to kind of focus on specific tasks. And what, and what, what the only, I think the only way you're capable of doing that with respect to real changes within the Ethereum ecosystem is the fact that there's at least a solidified process of how things get introduced, move through their diligence, uh, gather interest and agreement, and then actually implemented or not uh, through like the Ethereum improvement pro- like uh, proposal process. Like, it, it, can you, can you is, is that right to say that you would not be able to do your job if there wasn't a standardized process in place to kind of do this type of thing? Oh, absolutely. The EIP process is incredibly important, as is the other social pillars we have. So like the Ethereum Magicians Forum, which is kind of a group that's like the IEEE, if people are familiar with that organization of Ethereum, where a lot of people come together and form these uh, rings or social you know, groups, and they talk about these technical issues and come to agreements that then get put in a technical specification form as an EIP and then get pushed through the system. So it's a lot of people coming together to push those changes forward. And if you have an idea, even if you're brand new, sometimes that can be like the next big thing. I I think uh, EIP 721, which is the, I think that's the one that CryptoKitties uh, uses, the like non-fungible tokens. That was like someone who was less than six months into the community, I think. or if it wasn't, it was someone who, the person who took it over was super new and they were just like, hey, want to take this over. So it's like very interesting to see how quickly you can become engulfed in this stuff. Hmm. I got I got a two part question for you, um, Hudson. The first is Hudson Hawk, great movie or the greatest movie? Ooh, I think I would say never seen it. I like Hudson Damn. Mohawk. Hudson Mohawk. That, I haven't seen Hudson Mohawk. Oh, no, but that's Hudson an Hawk artist. Is a good one. Um, I just thought you guys would be cultured. You guys don't know what Hudson Hawk is. That's blowing <laughs> my mind. Um, the second is um, we say governance a lot. I hear this a lot in crypto community. And way back in the day, there was this, like, um, I guess it was a mythos that, like, the code was king. The code was law. So why all of a sudden now are we making this hard swing, this hard push towards, oh, no, we actually need governance. We need governing bodies or people that are responsible for the direction of things when previously it was just like, no, nah, the code, the code guides us, the code binds us. I would say that in the beginning of Ethereum and throughout the first few years, there were two factions that really showed themselves out after the DAO fork, which I bet there's been a blockchain episode on that before, right? We talked about the DAO before. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I was, yeah, no I was way to say we talked about that at, at, like every now and again. Yeah, it's just kind of part yeah. of the ingrained history. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. So there, the two factions that kind of came out of that are the Code is Law people that you know went to Ethereum Classic and the people who were like, we need it to be like sim- like not not even simple. What's the right word for this? Like pragmatic. Pragmatic's the right word. So like we're not gonna do a change if it's going to destroy the whole or we're not going to like be stubborn if it's going to destroy the whole system because why even have this in the first place if you can't make decisions on the fly so although we still want to be as you know 
censorship resistant and as like stern as possible when it comes to changes within the protocol being backwards uh, compatible you know at all times there are things that trump that such as security issues another thing that trumps that is you know the whole economy of the network being taken down by one bad actor um, there's also a lot of open discussion for the upcoming eth 2.0 fork where a lot of the well, what's the worst that could happen? If this worst thing happens, we would do a social fork where we come together as a community and decide to invalidate this piece of the blockchain or you know, restart it or whatever else happens, which is a really scary thing to think about. But mm -hmm. at the same time, we're so early in this whole Ethereum blockchain you know, world that it, we don't need to be perfect yet. And if we try to be perfect and we strain ourselves to like have these ideologies – that are so, yeah. you know, bit like grounded early on, it's going to be to our detriment. I want to, I want to add on to that um, because I, I don't, I don't want it to be misconstrued that that's all they're talking about. Like all the decisions that they're making are these critical decisions that, you know, are um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like contentious. It's yeah, contentious. the majority, the majority of the process. And this is a very standard process across all large public blockchains, including Bitcoin, is how do we introduce improvements, features, like it, uh, changes that everyone agrees upon um, in, in, a, in a pragmatic, regular way uh, that, that has that has dojo behind them, like BIP39, BIP44, like the way in which Wallace um, generate addresses and how you store your seed phrase and all those types of things. Those are all different uh, BIPs, BIP, BIP, Bitcoin improvement proposals. So it's not like Ethereum is strange in this improvement process and the social governance that happens around how you make these improvements. Uh, it's just that Ethereum has maybe gone a little further in allowing them to make larger decisions based on social contracts uh, with respect to uh, forks and changing, or maybe in some cases like the Dow fork, uh, rolling back some changes because of catastrophic events. But like the majority of the conversation there is just how do we make the system better that everyone agrees upon? And those things are always non-contentious. Non it just still needs to be done in a formalized process. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And the cool thing with Ethereum is we're like so much more lighthearted than Bitcoin. We even have our you know, technical standard process, our EIPs have something called an ERC, which is a type of EIP, and it's a community standard. So it's it would make Bitcoin people go crazy because what it is, you can say, I want this token standard and these smart contracts to do X, Y, and Z and all be compatible. And if enough people use it, it gets accepted into the EIP system as you know accepted or final status rather than just a draft status anyone can use. Um, and the way it comes to that is through social consensus of – Mm -hmm. All these projects are using this plat this program. Like all these projects are using the ERC twenty standard. So if enough projects are using it and they all agree this is the standard they're going to use, then it becomes accepted. Whereas in Bitcoin, if you were to say, "Oh, let's all you you know have the same type of like t like uh, if they tried to make Lightning into a BIP instead of the pr the pieces of Lightning into a BIP, I think that would have a lot of backlash. Just to try mm -hmm. to make a comparison there. Yeah, because I think for Bitcoin, it goes like, at least for the uh, the BIP process, it's, you know, submit your BIP. It's got to go through this literal social gauntlet of like technical approval. And then you get a 
uh, a BIP um, number from, I think, like Luke Dash Jr. Um, or something of that nature and one of the other custodians. Uh, and then that works its way through the process, which we know is extremely elongated. So maybe you can explain to us, because it seems to me like the, the, the turnover rate going from uh, EIP, that's like public um, you know, draft for your feedback and et cetera, uh, and then eventually moving on to ERCs, I feel like that process is, is, is much faster in Ethereum. Is, is, is there any reason or you can speak to why do you think that is? Do you think it's the individuals in the space? Do you think it's the diversity of the individuals? Or, or what's the secret sauce there, if you had to guess? Yeah, so I'll start with a hot take. Mm-hmm. Luke Dash Jr. shouldn't be the only one approving BIPs. <laughs> I don't. I don't like the guy anyway. But like, that's a whole different story. I'm not gonna call uh, that a hot take. I'm gonna call yeah, that like a regular take. A thing that's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe not for this channel. Either way. Uh, but it's actually so. It's a number of things. One is anyone in the EIP process can make a draft EIP as long as you format it, you know, correctly. You can make an EIP for making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich correctly and putting it on the blockchain. And as long as the header information is correct and it's not something harmful, you it can probably go into draft status. Um, and we even have a bot that auto-merges drafts. So there are hundreds of drafts in the EIP process, whereas as, if I'm familiar enough with it in the bit process, you have to be approved as a draft by Luke and maybe some of the other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I want to say it has to go through um, the um, the developer newsletter uh, process first. Oh, like it's okay. got to get to the mailing list first? It got to go to the mailing list first, um, and then there needs to be some conversation around it, and then it needs to be formalized, and then um, it eventually gets the ultimate stamp of approval from from Luke Dash Jr. If I remember it correctly, uh, at least that's how it used to work. I don't know if it still works the same way. I think it does. So yeah, all of Bitcoin's governance depends on like one crazy guy in Florida saying act or not. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been thinking a lot of this time. And like the the thing with the EIP process is it needs to be fast because Ethereum is more ambitious and has a greater breadth of you know things it's doing compared to Bitcoin and other coins that are just you know one act uh, one act blockchains with one use case or very few use cases. And Ethereum has these you know potentially endless amount of use cases if you twist and turn the code. So as you know things get popular, we need to you know do really boring things like have an EIP to include snappy compression at the network layer. And then there's some back and forth argument about that, you know, in the core dev meetings. But like people don't notice that. Like, I mean, maybe Weekend Ethereum by Evan Van Ness sometimes covers the more contentious topics, but really a lot of that gets passed over because most of the time they agree, like 90% of the time. Um, and then the times they don't agree, it gets settled technically. Like, hmm. you know, do an implementation, prove to us that you're right, and then they do. Could you could you walk us through uh, a more recent ERC standard that's gone through uh, the EIP process very smoothly, and progress into the and then eventually progress into an ERC standard that you think is as a good clear example to kind of outline from beginning to end how it works? Um, I'm really bad at remembering the numbers. <laughs> oh no, it's all good. It's all good. You can just give it at a high level. To, if, if yeah, and I can do a high level though. I would say <laughs> that you know someone comes in and they're like. I want a standard for a smart contract safe so that if I'm moving my coins from one safe to another, 
I know that those coins are being processed and transferred in a way that is compatible between these safes. So they write it up and it's usually for a smart contract standard, it's usually Solidity or Viper code um, saying, I want there to be these modifiers, these functions. I want it to be able to accept coins, to transfer coins, to lock coins for X amount of days, et cetera. And so they write this all up. Uh, an EIP has a set of sections you have to put. So you have to have an abstract, which is just like a short, you know, TLDR of what it's doing. And then there's the main section where it gives the reasons behind why you would do the EIP. There's the implementation or the like implementation section that's not a real implementation, but more of pseudocode. And then we get to security considerations. And there's just a couple more things in there, maybe like a references section that uh, allow you to really scope out the entire thing. And then you make a form on the Ethereum Magicians form, and you put that in the header info of the EIP, so just at the very top. And if you want to discuss it, you go to the Ethereum Magicians form, and there's back and forth on that form. At the same time, maybe you're a project in the space like Gnosis, and you're going to use a, uh, your safe and like launch your product. You start using your standard, and then you start talking to other groups, and you're like, hey, MetaMask, when you detect there's a safe, can you kind of pop up a thing that says this is the safe standard? And then they might talk to another group that's wanting to do something like this in a protected way and say, hey, can you do this? And if they get enough people around it and it gets kind of popular within their scene or within their scope of work, then it just starts being used. And the author of the contract can say, all right, enough people are using this. I want this to go into final or accepted status. Uh, so I'm going to do what's called last call. Last call is a newer thing we implemented in the last two years within the EIP process where there's a, an RSS feed, which is just rolling with all these EIPs that are in last call status. And you have two weeks to kind of say, oh, wait, there's something technically wrong here, or I don't want this to go final because of blank. And you can put a dissenting opinion in during that last call period. But after that last call period's over, it's, it's accepted. So I so I think I actually might have a guess um, on top of the other reasons we've mentioned as to why the Ethereum governance EIP ERC process is easier than the Bitcoin Bit process, excluding um, Luke Dash Jr. altogether. I think one from a low level perspective, understanding how to contribute and make improvements to Bitcoin is a lot harder in the sense that it's understanding low-level Bitcoin script, uh, understanding kind of like the low-level, you know, cryptographic primitives that exist in the Bitcoin, its history, um, opcodes that have been removed, opcodes, um, you know, that have been uh, added additionally going forward in the future, um, kind of in, in really grasping that entirety of that community and how it functions versus Ethereum, I come across the uh, the EIP process, and I and and I basically it's like I'm a generalized software developer. Maybe I'm very good at you know uh, utilizing like high level languages and and working amongst different uh, platforms and protocols. And I say, hey, I see how this works in Ethereum. Be really cool if there was this other way that we could uh, you know utilize Solidity, Viper, etc. Um, to formalize these standards on how to do it this way. And the thing is, is like Ethereum has that optionality, whereas Bitcoin doesn't. And it's just like so you so the 
funnel of individuals that can actually come in to contribute to Bitcoin's improvement process is so much smaller in scope than uh, Ethereum's, where it's kind of like more generalizable, more open. And so therefore, there are more contributions, which means over time, those contributors become more finely ingrained to the low level kind of, you know, consensus critical code. And then over time, the pace uh, hastens as to which like Ethereum improves versus uh, Bitcoin, where that funnel is always constricted. We still need that low level expertise and the folks that are going to get you there, Luke Dash Jr. and other like uh, Bitcoin, you know, core contributors don't necessarily have the bandwidth or or seek to have the bandwidth to to grow that funnel. And um, it's as long as that constriction is there, um, I think that's going to always be the case. Um, so I think I think modeling a, a governance process uh you know in an account-based generalized smart contracting platform that has a high level language where you can append changes um that you know affect the the blockchain state versus utxo based chain um very dependent on you know very uh closed loop um uh, governance process because it requires such low level understanding and intelligence even myself to this day i've been in, in the bitcoin space like seven and plus years right and like uh familiar very familiar with the handshake code base very familiar with the bitcoin code base uh multiple implementations of the bitcoin code base but when you really get down to the thick of things things are far more complex um and uh, and unfortunately there is no referenceable paper um, that can say like, this is how Bitcoin should work. You just got to look at the reference implementations code and figure out how it works. And so there's all these barriers. Um, so, uh, that being said, like how, how do you guys seek to potentially improve this process? Like going forward, do you think this is just something that's like ever evolving? Do you think you guys got it figured out? Yeah, we have something called the EIPIP meetings, the Ethereum Improvement Proposals and Improvement Proposals meetings. And uh, what we do there is uh, very redundant. We uh, look at EIP1, which is like our rule book uh, for what the EIP should be. And we also look at some of the ancillary features of the EIP process, such as our site that's run off of a Jekyll static site generator to take all the EIPs and make them look pretty in our, you know, Python bot that auto merges EIPs within uh, the EIP repository and just say, how can we improve all this to make it better? Because we've run into some problems, some real bad steps that we've run into where, you know, this, this stuff sounds really nice, but then once the process is followed, you find process problems. Uh, for instance, recently, there was this little EIP called ProgPow, you know, there's this, you know, just a small nothing, thing, just a small thing. And, uh, it went through and it went through uh, over the course of two years uh it went through you know draft and then accepted status uh it got through to accepted status in january 2019 in january 2020 when uh we were starting to look into actually including it in a hard fork everybody raised hell against it from the community uh, i should i should re-quote re that not everybody but a good amount of people who were very loud raised a lot of loud voices against ProgPow, and it turned out that we are currently not putting it into a uh, hard fork. However, it's an accepted status. So there is nothing that we have written down within the standards of EIPs to say, how do you get an EIP out of accepted status? So right now it's this weird like way that like it's not going to go into anything but it's accepted so that's really confusing to newcomers that are like oh wait this is accepted why isn't it in anything it's been accepted for over a year so part of us rewriting 
parts of the EIP process are so things like that don't happen. Hmm. I got a, a question for you. There's, like, there was, there's something you said earlier in the interview that struck a chord with me, and it was um, the Ethereum community is, is a lot, light, lot more lighthearted uh, than other communities, and that's cool. But what I want to know is, are you guys prepared for when it's not? Because that's going to happen, and you've yeah. got to be prepared for it. And I'm going to say it's probably going to happen right around the time there's more value in this blockchain than you could have ever imagined. So how are you all prepared for that? We aren't. Uh, basically, <laughs> yeah. So being honest, I was like, all right. Oh yeah, no, I'm not going to try to like wiggle around this one. No. So what? What? Uh, what really inspired me? Because th- this reminds me of something I saw at ETH Denver, not uh, 2020 ETH Denver, but 2019 ETH Denver. They had Andreas Antonopoulos as their like keynote speaker, and you know he's like a known Bitcoin guy and just all around great person. Right, like you can just check out his Twitter and see that he really cares about people and really cares about Bitcoin. And what he was saying on stage is, you know, things are real rosy right now, but just wait till you have a major government wanting to shut you down because there's, you know, sixty percent of child abuse is being, uh, you know, streamed through Ethereum or being profited using Ethereum. What are you going to do then? Are you going to change your blockchain then when you have, you know, people knocking on core developers' doors and saying, mm-hmm. you have to put this code change in there and not tell anybody, and I have this paper from my government? And we're just not ready for that. What I've done is I've reached out to legal professionals myself to protect myself uh, for when that happens. And there's other people who have gotten business insurance and other people who have consulted like the best way to have good OPSEC, and that's really all you can do. Um, there have been protocols in the past, like you know the internet, that is facilitating a bunch of crime and bad things. And if you structure the, you know, community right early on, so that it kind of wiggles into society without too much bad stuff happening all at once or people noticing, I think you can get away with it. I think there's a chance. I think it's still going to be difficult, but if it is truly an unstoppable blockchain and we get to a point where it can kind of glide along, like right now we're zooming toward ETH2 because that's been on the roadmap for years and frankly we're a little bit behind. So once we get there, hopefully my I'm thinking it might level out a bit as far as like new features. There'll be more of a feature freeze and more and more of a security updates phase where we're not going to have this risk of all these improvements being able to be jeopardized by law enforcement. And we're not going to have a lot more eyes on us because we're going to be the boring one then. There's mm-hmm. going to be a new shinier one and we'll be the more stable one. Trojan horse. You got a Trojan yep. horse it. You got to build something the governments use. So then when they come to you and they're like, shut it down, you're like, well, if we do that, we're going to shut your shit down, too. So, yep. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of you guys is like uh, future success is also going to come from the fact that you guys have already been more socially flexible and you guys are more empathetic for the most part. So I actually think. Uh, what four, four or five years in with Ethereum's history, um, maybe more. You know, when it was in its original like inception phase. Like, I think that it's kind of like, it, and it, maybe I don't want to jinx anything here, but I think you guys are kind of in the clear. Because um, just like any other, you know, business, when you seek to build like good company culture, right? It, you know, it starts from like the first few handful of employees, and then from there, it's completely dependent upon how fast you scale, 
All right, uh, Apple started as a startup, which is a very commonly used example. And then over time, the ethos that Steve Jobs and other early creators like it, are still persistent in the business today, all the way down to how the employees are trained to talk to each other, give feedback and present themselves to customers and um, the other potential business partners. Um, and so it's kind of like it's, it's, in, it's in the Kool-Aid. And to be a part of the Ethereum community requires you to go to this EIP process, which also requires you to sip a little bit of Kool-Aid. And so I think that uh, ultimately that's going to be a major factor in you guys avoiding um, the entrance of potentially toxic individuals to you all's governance process. Right. And as many people in the space have uh, discussed, use terminology uh, like, you know, uh, governance capture. Right. Like I come in, uh, maybe I'm of a high referent regard. Um, trying to re referencing the five different levels of power. And with that, I say, these are changes that I think are need to be made to Ethereum, right? Um, someone that maybe might be has held into a high regard as maybe Vitalik, but just from like a, for a different space. And they say, I want to make these suggestions, you know, very quickly, uh, there's enough social self-awareness in the space, uh, especially from folks like Amin and uh, other individuals who are major community members who just say, hey, uh, that doesn't look right. I don't think this person has the best intentions and the best motives because at the end of the day, uh, a, a lot of these really good developers are also great at game theory and they're being able to understand when people want to assist and when people just want to play games. And um, that that is very important specifically from like a project management standpoint too, of being able to kind of like weed out those folks. Um, so I guess I guess the best way to leave this discussion um, would be like, what has been a, a major lesson that you have learned from, you know, being a steward, uh, uh, being a social custodian uh, of the kind of Ethereum protocol, like what has stood out that you've picked up that you, that you hope other people um, could potentially learn from to improve like their own processes? Uh, just be nice and listen to people. That covers a lot of stuff. I mean, <laughs> you go into the details of like, people get their egos in the way and then that obstructs everything or you know people become too entrenched in the code and they don't see you know the you know the other social aspects and all that is true but as long as you're like trying your best to be nice and trying your best to listen to people then a lot of the times the arguments can be avoided and i see a lot of that altruistic attitude and spirit within our core developers and within you know some people in the community so it, it makes me pretty happy that I'm in this community and that there's going to be a pretty bright future for it. Awesome. Well, did you have any other questions, Dimitrik, uh, Corey, before we uh, jet out of here? I think we've been able to cover enough for the audience in relation to governance, because, again, it's, it's not a topic that many people want to talk about, but it is one that is very important. So if there is anything loose hanging uh, that you guys want to ask us and why we have them, please do. I could talk about this for a long time, so we might want to just cut it. And then <laughs> offer the invite for Hudson to come back because this is something that I mean, Corey knows I talk about this stuff kind of loosely all the time on 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 our show, the TVP. So uh, I'll save it. I, I, save it for oh, another wait. time. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I got I got one more quick one. I know you can answer it. How, how do you feel about the upcoming transition into Eve 2.0 and that transition process? And do you guys think you're prepared for that? I think it's going to go great. I think we are definitely more prepared than it shows because we need more people to be – the people who are communicative enough to provide updates to an average person about it are already swamped. People like Danny Ryan, people like Metallic. So it's, it's better than people are seeing. 
Awesome. Well, that's good. Good sentiment to follow along. Hopefully it will be echoed by others over the next couple of weeks and months as that proceeds. Um, but again, thank you very much, uh, Hudson, for coming onto the show and sharing with us your perspective. Always really appreciate it. Very personable approach as to, you know, how these very complex topics like, evolve. So again, thank you for that. Um, and as things proceed in the future, as Dimitri said, come on back on the show and, and let us know uh, what your vibes like uh, in the community, uh, maybe a year from now, a year and a half from now, as we've, we're into the throes of East 2.0 and things have improved uh, vastly. Oh yeah, when everything crashes and burns, bring me back. If everything's rainbows and sunshines, bring me back. I'm good at whatever. You can we'll have, a, we'll have a post-mortem. Hudson, what happened, man? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Thanks, all right. guys. Yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. You have a great day. I hope you're proud of me. I hope you're proud of me. Because I've been working a long time. I hope you're proud of me. I finally know who I want to be. I'm going to keep moving. Keep pushing. I know they talk about me, but it ain't nothing. I keep moving, keep pushing. Every single day I gotta keep improving.